0: Welcome from EURACTIV! My name is Luca Bertuzzi, digital and media editor, and this is the Digital Brief Podcast. This week, we take a closer look at Europe's positioning on emerging technologies. For an overview on all things digital in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website EURACTIV.com. This is EURACTIV's Digital Brief Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jean-Marc Leclerc, director of IBM's Policy Lab. Thank you, Jean-Marc, for joining us.
1: Thank you, Luca. It's great to be with you today.
0: So IBM is perhaps one of the most ancient uh, tech companies still around. And uh, you are a U.S. company with a long history in Europe. I would be interested in your view on the ongoing debate on digital sovereignty. Can you give us your take on that? Sure, thanks, Luca. Um, so on 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 tech
1: sovereignty. Well, we've we've looked at this uh, issue very seriously with the the IBM Policy Lab, and um, well, our conclusion is that this is not or should not be a a black or white issue or a for or against issue. It's 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 complex topic, uh, and, and why is that? Because there are legitimate concerns. You know, around the behavior of of certain players on the market, uh, the risks for data privacy and security, etc. There are legitimate concerns, and in the end, it really it's all about trust and who you can trust with your data, with your technology. Uh, but for us, the more the question is more about how it's done. Uh, digital sovereignty in-, in practice, if you like, of course uh building walls around Europe that's protectionism it doesn't work uh, it's not helpful for anybody uh, in particular for for european companies so you know if tech sovereignty is protectionism then you know this is not something that that can be supported what is important i think for for us is is how you choose your your partners if this is done if you choose partners uh, based on you know the values that they have if they are shared values the capabilities that they have how much they actually contribute to europe's economy um this is a much better way than looking at just the uh, geographic location of the headquarters uh and so in in short If tech sovereignty is about indeed strengthening the the technological capabilities, um, the digital transformation in Europe, uh, that that is great. And it it is not and it should not be incompatible with with an open and and an inclusive uh, approach, if you like.
0: When this European Commission started this mandate, there was an assumption that Europe was not fit for the digital age. And uh, there have been plenty of legislative as well as non-legislative initiatives uh, to to change the situation. So in regard to emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence, where do you think that uh, Europe stands right now?
1: Well, it's it's interesting because the, the, the first... A paper we published as the IBM Policy Lab was actually about artificial intelligence and policy around uh, around AI. And what we called for back then, uh, that was two years ago, uh, was a precision regulation. Uh, and what it means is... To encourage uh, governments policymakers to to find the right balance between innovation and security and really regulate what needs to be regulated and support what needs to be uh, supported uh, and and you know really strengthen AI adoption in the end as the ultimate goal and strengthen trust in AI as the other ultimate goal uh, europe it's the first ever uh, comprehensive uh, legislative proposal on on AI, which the commission published uh, last uh, April. Uh, I think it, it really builds on the the right principles. You know, the, the, the risk-based approach uh, in the proposal, I think that it matches with this precision regulation we had been uh, calling for. And in short, regulating the, the specific users of AI systems, but not the AI technology itself, if you want. So the the approach is really good. And you see that many regions of the world are are looking at the draft regulation for AI and wondering, okay, is this this the right approach? So the principles, I think, are really, really good. Now, of course, if you go into the, the detail of the text, there are always things that can be changed, or, or you know, let me be more precise. Not necessarily changed, but but clarified, because you know, all companies, not just providers, users as well, are looking at this regulation and wondering, okay, how am I going to comply with with this or or that? So it it really needs to be uh, clear. So there are elements that should be clarified. What one element I think is really important uh, is. Uh, not just what you should do when you need to comply with the AI Act, but uh, who should do it. Uh, so the allocation of responsibility throughout the uh, the ecosystem is really important. Uh, as you know, in the in the AI value chain, you have a lot of different um, actors who are you know providing training, deploying, supplying, using uh, the the system. So it's a it's a lot of different actors. So all those actors need to know where they are uh, in the in the regulation and to me it's one point that is not very uh, very very clear but uh, it's a good uh, it's a very good very good start
0: so the ai act has been receiving a lot of attention but the commission has recently closed a public consultation regarding a complementary proposal on product liability for ai systems Many tech companies, including IBM, have been arguing for excluding uh, softwares and intangibles uh, in the definition of products. Can you give us um reasoning for this?
1: Sure. And, you know, let me say first that... Uh one one key element, of course, in the question of on AI liability, is to uh, make sure there's consistency with the proposal, the AI Act that's already on the table. You know, we we're just talking just now on the allocation of responsibilities in the in the chain. Uh, this will impact uh, any other rules on on liability, of course. So, uh, you know, if there are new rules on on liability it would, first of all, be really good to wait for the AI Act to be not just adopted, but also implemented to see if it's working well. That's the first point. On the issue of uh, software, yes, I think applying strict liability to to standalone uh, software and AI systems is a bit disproportionate uh, because they're very different from other Products that you have that are covered under the, uh, the product liability directive, as you know, software can be uh, can be multi-purpose, uh, and and very importantly, their use or their functioning depends on who uses them a- and how. Uh, that's a, that's a key point. Uh, so it's it's an evolving. Uh, uh, product if you like uh, the, the software so th- the strict liability uh it just wouldn't it, w- it wouldn't work um, we 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 cannot know uh the exact use the, the the purpose and the application of a software when it because it's all decided by uh, by the user if you want so the strict liability it, it, it wouldn't
0: work for what concerns other emerging technologies, such as quantum computing and cloud, there have been several initiatives at the national and EU level. What is your take on them? Yeah,
1: absolutely. There's a lot of activity on, on cloud and, and, and quantum throughout Europe. Uh, and you know, IBM is always very eager to, to join and, and support uh, such, uh, such initiatives. In particular, to um, well, to be an advocate for open and flexible uh, technologies like uh, like multi-cloud, uh, if you want, as a good example. Um, if I had to make one key point, and going back to our discussion on technological sovereignty, uh, to me, around all these emerging technologies like cloud and quantum, <clears throat> the the key element is cooperation. For, for cloud services for quantum and, and other technologies, uh, of course. The progress in quantum and in cloud, and in part- not just their development, but also their adoption, <coughs> uh, all lies in how companies and researchers work together. We have a lot of examples of very good partnerships. Let me give you uh, one on, on quantum. We have a, an excellent partnership In Europe, uh, between uh, IBM and the Fraunhofer Institute in Germany, it's a very good example of uh, industry leaders, excellent research organizations, getting together on Europe soil to develop and put into production uh, an emerging technology like, like quantum computing. So for me, all the projects around cloud, and quantum uh, if we have to pick these two technologies must have this cooperation uh, element into them or, or else they will they will not be successful
0: so if i understand correctly cooperation should be in place regardless of the origin of the company because that's a big discussion that we have seen uh, for instance regarding GaiaX and other infrastructural projects whether uh there should be non european companies involved
1: where the company comes from i don't think really matters it's what they bring to the table that matters and the values that they have uh you know um we we are a part i b m is contributing to to the Gaia x project absolutely uh and you know we're we're trying to push a specific approach there uh on for example on cloud switching uh we're pushing for and I think there's a general agreement uh in in France, in Germany and, and within Gaia X as well, uh to try and develop uh practices that go against vendor lock-in, which is I think one of the reasons why uh the tech sovereignty, the technological sovereignty approach has, has emerged, because there is vendor lock-in. So if Gaia X can help uh you know, fight against vendor lock-in practices, then it's great and I don't think uh, the, where your headquarters are uh, should be an issue if you're pushing in this direction as well. So it's a question of, of values too.
0: IBM is also one of the main producers of microchips, uh, very scarce technology these days. What is your expectation uh, regarding the Chips Act that the commission is due to present later this year?
1: Yeah, so on the issue of chips, so to be clear, uh, IBM uh, is mainly conducting research uh, and development uh, and really at at the cutting edge of the technology, not so much the manufacturing. Uh, like for example just a few weeks months ago uh, we launched the first uh, two nanometer uh, chip um, but back to your your question on the on the chip act and uh, and the uh, the general debate around semiconductors um, so a lot of focus has been put on manufacturing and, and where the manufacturing takes place um, and but the fact is that the the demand for also for processing capacity is is increasing constantly. So, of course, it requires manufacturing and a a greater manufacturing capacity, but also constant innovation and and research. So it means that the investment in different parts of the supply chain is crucial. So not just manufacturing, but also research. So my hope for the EU uh, CHIPS Act is also that it will support uh, research through funding, but it's not just a, a money issue. Like like we've just discussed for, for quantum or cloud, um, for, for semiconductors, it's the same topic. It's the same issue. Uh, it's all about joint efforts and, and cooperation. So if the CHIPS Act can also um, facilitate and foster uh, cooperation projects in Europe where industry leaders can easily uh, join forces uh, and, for example, link uh, R&D, research and development, and manufacturing for specific projects, like you, like you see in other regions of the world. Then it would be a, a really, really great advantage for the for the Chips Act.
0: Jean-Marc Leclerc is director of IBM's Policy Lab. Thank you, Jean-Marc, for joining us today. Thank you, Luca. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free digital brief newsletter to receive a comprehensive overview on all things digital directly in your mailbox. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. I'm your Luca Bertuzzi and thank you for listening.